Welcome to the Cinematic Void Podcast. Cinematic Void is a cult film series that hosts screenings in the Los Angeles area as well as virtually. I'm your host, Jim Branscombe, and joining me as always is... Hey, it's Nick Vance, Paranoid Futures. Uh, you can find Cinematic Void on the World Wide Web at cinematicvoid.com as well as Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and all major podcast platforms. If you want to support The Void, you can consider joining our Patreon. Joining me now is one of my favorite, you know, I'd just say people in the world, but he's also one of the, the best film programming minds I've ever met. The man loves fucking movies. I've never <laughs> met anyone who loves movies as much as Will does, but he's a programmer. He does Music Box of Horrors, Highs and Lows, and he's the co-host of Oscar Bait. Please welcome to The Void, William Morris. Will, how are you doing, man? Oh, I'm good. Thank you. You're too nice to me as always, but I appreciate the kind words. <laughs> uh, I, I I mean it. I I will I will go to the grave believing that no one loves film as much as you because <laughs> just 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 on the vast variety and like just the amount and like how deep cut to like you know broad it's I don't know it's amazing it's like fuck I wish I had like that much film knowledge in my head. <laughs> well, it's a, my my friend called it a, a um, because I was I was calling it you know a sickness, and he was like, "Well, it goes further though because it's so compulsive. Like, there's true. Like, you have a you have a disorder that no one has figured out or diagnosed yet." <laughs> it was like you so compulsively truly want to see every movie that's ever been made, <laughs> and I can't. You know, I can't help it. It's just it's 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 in there for some reason. I don't know. It, it's it's like the most beautiful form of martyrdom. It's like I will be the one to watch every movie, even if it destroys me. Oh uh, well, you know my good my my very Christian upbringing. So I'm glad that that's what I retained from it is being a martyr, <laughs> a martyr, martyr for the movies. <laughs> uh, well, I guess going from martyrdom is like, how did you? become a film programmer because it's not really i mean maybe now there's people that are like when i grow up i'm gonna film program movies but like in reality it's like it's something a lot of people just kind of stumble into through a variety of ways how did you figure out that you wanted to start you know programming you know film screenings and that kind of stuff it was um you know like you said but in those days it didn't really you know it wasn't talked about like you know, in film school or anything, and there wasn't uh, wasn't a lot of conversation around it because it's just kind of this elusive thing. Like, holy shit! And in my mind, when I was a kid, I was like, someone gets to pick all the movies that everyone watches. That's so sick, <laughs> you know. But I I never really thought about it when I went to school. I was in school for writing, but like with a movie focus. And at that point, I was you know a, a far too confident of a little asshole, and I was like, I can be as good as Pauline Kale. But thankfully, that thought lasted about six months of my freshman year. And I was like, man, I fucking hate film critics. <laughs> I hate all of the shit around it. Like, I, you know, I still enjoyed writing periodically. But for the most part, I was like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just going to make movies instead. So I switched to that and made some movies in college. Uh, and then that kept going a bit when I moved to Denver uh, but truly the moment, the first moment it ever even crossed my mind um, was when I was working at the C Film Center, um, which is where uh, another of your guests, Teresa Mercado, 
puts on screen screen. Um, the director of programming over there, Keith Garcia, he was working there when I started and I was very, uh, when I started there, I was very intimidated by everybody, but especially him, like him and a guy named Bert Withy, who was the festival programmer for the Denver Film Festival. And I was so scared of them because I was like, oh my God, these guys know everything. They get to talk to people who actually make movies. Because I was still very green at this point, right? I'd never, I'd never been so lucky as to meet any people who made movies like I did outside of making my own. I'd never, you know, been on a film set, anything like that. So I was just like losing my mind. And one night when I was working, I was working concessions at the uh, C Film Center and I remember it so vividly because I was cleaning like the filter for the popper on the counter uh, and Keith was there working, just sitting in the bar area and he came up and we just started talking, getting to know each other a little bit. And at that time he was like, if you see a series called The Watching Hour um, at the time, it was like a late night cult series. Uh, and he was like, which two movies that I haven't shown should I show right now? And I was like, oh, you got to do Ginger Snaps in May. And he got really excited because um, that was, you know, time's crazy. That was before, you know, Ginger Snaps came back out on Blu-ray and had its second life um, in May as well. You know, and so he got excited and we started talking about movies. And at the end of the night, he was like, you should be putting on shows. You should you should be a film programmer. And I it, like I said, it had never crossed my mind before that. But once he said it, then I was uh rabid <laughs> i was just like oh my god because i i told it i asked if i could just sit close to him when he was on the phone with distributors and shit because i just wanted to hear it and i would look over his shoulder at emails because i was so excited about finding prints and stuff and all that and uh at the time there there wasn't really any you know there wasn't really any opportunity for like getting into programming um so what i did instead is there's a coffee shop next door and uh, we asked them if I could start showing movies in their basement, um, just do free screenings of my, you know, it's just my DVDs and shit. Um, and I started doing those and I showed the Nagisa Oshima movie, Japanese Summer Double Suicide in that basement. And a man named Walter Shaw came to that screening because he loved that film so much and he wanted in his words he said I wanted to know who was stupid enough to try to show that to people uh and so he came we met there he had just moved to Denver to work at the Littleton Alamo Draft House and he was like hey uh you should do a series for me I can't pay you um but you know you can have like free beer and food and I was like perfect that's fine I don't care <laughs> you know I get to show movies so I did a musical series there and then, you know, yada, yada, a little bit down the line, got fired from the Denver Film Society for acting a fool and then started working at the Draft House as the host of Quote Along. So I was just like Buddy the Elf like four times a day for these kids parties, which was pretty <laughs> weird. It was crazy, though, because those also they were like, all right, we can't pay you a lot for them, but you can drink as much as you want as long as the parents don't notice. And I was like, OK. And so it was just me, like, I mean, you know this, unfortunately, I'm pretty good at like, you know, being sauced to a good level and still putting on a decent show most of the time. And so it was like me sauced as Buddy the Elf, like putting, like having kids eat dry spaghetti for like competitions and shit. <laughs> and then you put maple, maple syrup on there. But anyway, so <laughs> I was doing all of that and life had gotten a bit crazy in Denver and I was really itchy 
which happens to me a lot. Um, I was just really fucking itchy. And I had been following a theater in LA for a long time called Cine Family, just because they were doing such insane shit. And I was like, I'm gonna do the classic thing. I have $200 and a car. I'm just gonna drive to LA and see if I can convince them to hire me. And thankfully along the way, cause I didn't have anywhere to stay. Uh, but I was like, I can sleep in my car, it's fine. But along the way, one of my friends was like, oh, I'm going to CalArts, you can sleep on my couch. And then I would just drive to LA early every morning and go to all the theaters, New Beverly, um, you know, I hit up every single one trying to get jobs. And a couple of weeks later, for some reason, thankfully, uh, they said yes. And I started working at Cine Family first as a theater manager, but they were like also come to all the programming meetings and stuff. And then I lied a lot about my experience because I knew that I could uh that I could figure it out quick enough because thankfully another great person we both know Brett Berg was leaving Senate family and he trained me for two weeks as fast as he could on how to be a programmer and all the different things that I would need to do at Senate family um and so yeah I just lied and said I I, I told our boss that I knew how to do everything and just didn't sleep for a couple of weeks and, you know, figured it out. And since then, it's been quite a whirlwind. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I remember meeting you. I don't know if you'd worked for CineFamily or were working there yet, but um, we had... No, it was TCM. I was a PA at the yeah, TCM, TCM Fest. <laughs> and, I, and I remember this, like, the tall, lanky guy walking up to me. He's like, hey, you have a Halloween 3 tattoo. I have one, too. And I'm like, who is this asshole? And it's just like... <laughs> Because you had long hair still. I had long. We, we, bo we both. We both. Yeah. <laughs> we were both long haired hippies. And it's just like. <laughs> and I don't know why I was so standoffish. It's like, I don't know. I don't. I, I get that way in public now when people are like, hey, Cinemac Void guy. And I'm like, oh, fuck. I don't know what to do. <laughs> yep. It's, it's hard. It's hard to. It's hard to interact. But also at the time, I mean, I, I, I've told you this before, but. And I know you experienced it. I got that Halloween 3 tattoo when I lived in Denver and fucking horror bros used to stop me on the street to berate me, like <laughs> to tell me how shitty it was and how much of an idiot I was for having that tattoo. Yeah, g guess what, fuckers? It's That's aged right. well. That's it right. We were right. <laughs> yeah, because at the time I got mine, which has been a decade plus, I don't know how long you've had yours, which is probably um, just, just as long, if not longer. Would have been like 2012, so I guess yeah, yeah, I, shit, yeah. <laughs> I got I got mine in 2011, so <laughs> we we were at the forefront. But like you know, <laughs> at, at that time, as we were talking, Halloween three was still very disrespected. And I've told oh. the I've, I think I've told the story in the podcast before, but I'll just say it real quick. I met Tom Atkins at a horror convention when I was living in Maryland in like 2006, and I went up to his table and I bought a shirt and like I just like hey I just wanted you to know I really love Halloween three and I I couldn't tell if he thought I was fucking with him or not and he was gonna get ready to <laughs> fucking punch me, <laughs> but like years later now he's like beloved and that movie's beloved so we were we were ahead of the curve but yep. but we yeah knew that you all would love that ass eventually <laughs> yeah there, there's something about like you know just random ass shots and movies of actors like it's yep. you know it's great you know <laughs> j just think of how we pr promoted tightrope it was that oiled up clint eastwood ass yeah it's exciting <laughs> when you get to see these like tough you know 
these like tough no bullshit dudes and you get to see their cute little asses it's fun (laughs) (laughs) Ah, all i can say is 80s 80s were wild (laughs) yes i gotta show my ass give me a line of cocaine here we go yep i was gonna say it's one of the only positive things we can say that cocaine left uh (laughs) in its wake was the dude asses in 80s movies (laughs) (laughs) now There, there, there's a very storied and not so nice history of Cine Family, which we don't have to get into here because it's been yeah. it's it's been beaten to death. But like you know, I do want to talk about the work you did there because I think it's important. Yeah. Like as you were programming there, like how did you feel like you grow or learned, and like how are you like tackling like what kind of series you're going to do, what kind of like films you're going to like how like because you were doing day to day like everyday programming, yeah. Yep. which is well, compl- completely different to, to what I do, which is like a Monday, a, mo- a Monday, a week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's um, well, it's one of those things. And I, uh, you know, sometimes people don't like when I say this, but you know, the world is complicated. And what I will say is despite where things ended up and whatever effect it had on lots of other people and myself working for uh, Hadrian, he also taught me an insane amount that I'm very grateful for a lot of it. And the the biggest thing I always tell people when I meet people who've just started in programming, they ask for advice. The best thing that he ever told me is, and this was like day two there. And again, keep in mind that I had lied. So I'm desperately like tr- trying to learn how to like build a website. Cause I said, I knew how to do that. So I was like trying to teach myself how to do all that shit while he's just like talking to me about series ideas. But uh, what he said, he just sat down and he was like, okay, start pitching me on series ideas right now. And this is like out of the blue, like I'm just sitting there typing and he just comes in. And so I start and I say a couple and he was like, no, 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 no. He's like, okay, you're doing this wrong. He was like, if anyone else has ever done it or would even think to do it, we don't want to hear about it. He said, what we do here is you start with an idea that is so unbelievable and so impossible that even one of his benchmarks was BAM. He was like, right, BAM is one of the most well-funded like film organizations in the United States, right? So there are no limits in theory. He was like, pretend we have a budget bigger than BAM. And the only thing in the way is like us stopping ourselves from coming up with it. Those are the ideas I want to hear. And then we work our way down from there. And then we end up with something special in this small room that we have at Cine Family. Um, and I still, that is, that's how I try to do every single piece of programming to this day is first come up with something that's absolutely not possible. <laughs> um, and then, but try to keep the spirit of that idea and go from there. Um, and so that was incredible. Like just learning, learning that out the gate and it immediately, like it was so, you know, it was so fulfilling day to day again, alongside the bad stuff. So I also always tell people that, a lot of my time in LA, but especially at Cine Family, most of those days were the best days I've ever had in my life still, and the worst days I've ever had in my life still, often within like five minutes of each other, you know, and it, that's part of why it was so magic, uh, is because it was total chaos and there were no rules, um, you know, and that's what, that's why we were able to pull off a lot of the shit we were, and that's of course also why things went the way they did eventually, but when it was good, it was fucking incredible because we were just a, it was, it was like living in a really productive punk house. (laughs) Like if, you know, like if you lived in a punk house with like 20 other people and instead of 
what most punk houses that I'm sure you've also lived in are like, uh, instead of what that is like, everyone just goes fucking hard all the time to like fulfill their most wild dreams at every second. Um, so it was amazing. And uh, alongside that, um, also Marcus Herring and Tom Fitzgerald, I worked with there and uh, there was amazing. Marcus has roots all the way back to like the original Alamo Draft House before the, you know, franchising and expansion and all that stuff. Um, so he was known in the the world of like print collectors as well because he used to have like a Lady Terminator print before anyone did that kind of shit. But I learned a lot from him and Tom is what I still always call the brainstem of Cine Family because uh, Tom is one of those wild fucking people who you could truly just walk up to. And I did it all the time because <laughs> I love to hear what he would say, but you could walk up to him and be like, okay, uh, <laughs> before things change i want the best 10 movies from yugoslavia in like you know the fucking late 60s and off the top of his head he would be like here are the 10 you're going to find if you try to look on the internet or read any of these stupid books but here are the 10 you should look into instead instantly and the craziest thing about tom is that even if he wasn't interested in those movies necessarily he still knew them and he, he has the most insane encyclopedia brain like uh him and him and joe rubin um, that's why they they got, got along so well because they could just do that <laughs> that like horrifying level of knowledge um but one of the biggest things tom taught me uh or someone had pitched us on i forget which country it was but right someone had pitched us on a specific country series and uh i found out after the fact it had already been shot down unbeknownst to me but tom in a great teacher moment he was like, okay, what are we going to do, Will? And I was like, I don't I don't even know if I can think of anything, you know, like from that country off the top of my head. And he was like, great, let's become experts by the end of the day. We're not going to do anything else. We're going to go sit in the accountant's room in the back and shut the door. And we're both just going to study as much as we can and just dig and dig and dig and dig. And by the end, we'd be able to present a decent version of this. And so same thing. I still do that, right? If something comes up, then I'm like, great. Now it's an opportunity to learn another avenue of film shit that I didn't know. So Tom really stoked the fire of the incessant hunger <laughs> to, to, you know, uh, to see. He started my obsession of seeing at least one movie from every country on earth where movies are made, um, you know, and that kind of thing. So there was, I mean, and I could, I could go for days and days on all the shit that I learned there, but that stuff plus being able to host no matter what was going on in life and how to flip the switch and yeah. you know of course sometimes there were uh we'll say something we already talked about involved with the male asses in the 80s sometimes there were little uh boosts to help you do that but oftentimes truly you were just you know like didn't matter if everything in the world was fucking going terribly you just took a deep breath got it together and then put on the best fucking show that you could um and yeah i still you know i still take that with me also and and then the last one so i don't just talk about this forever uh the last one was robinson mark robinson who was our tech director and projectionist he's just a stellar human being uh one fun little detail about mark he could time he he rolled his own cigarettes and he would roll them to the length of how much time was left on a reel before before he had to switch the reel to reel. And so he'd be on the patio and I would say, oh, 
our guest is almost here. How much time do we have left? And he would look at his hand rolled cigarette and be like, ah, four and a half minutes. And he was always right. Always fucking right. Which is amazing. <laughs> but anyway, Mark one time, I think it was for uh, Wheels on Meals maybe, but we had last minute because something fell through, had to throw together a Christmas in Hong Kong series. And I had gone as fast as I could and asked my buddy, Pat Lowry, who was an expert on that stuff, just did a Sam Hung series at the Academy. Um, and so we sat and pumped something out and then I found every print I could in the United States, put it together, whatever. The series of course didn't do well because it was like a week before. Uh, and I remember coming out of one of the shows after I introed and I was clearly really bummed. Uh, and I remember Mark took me to the side and he was like, well, I just want to remind you, like before I was working here, a lot of my favorite shows are when I would come and it would be me and three other people. And he said, I just watched your intro and that's one of the best ones I've ever seen here. So for the 10 people that came, this is an incredible night and they'll remember it forever and now seek out more of these movies. So you just have to remind yourself that if you're in front of a thousand people or two people, do the exact same intro and you'll do great every time. And I think about that, you know. That's actually really sage advice. Right? Yeah, no, he's a he's a sage motherfucker. That dude is so wise. <laughs> yeah, because um, there is a, you know, there is like, you do have to kind of turn it on when you're introducing movies, which is a weird thing to say, because like, you know, I, obviously repertory cinema across the country has people that host and intro stuff and not just the cult film stuff, but like, you know, most people that go to the movies don't have anyone setting things up with contacts or, you know, guests or anything like that. And I guess, you know, since we're talking about it, what, what's your approach to like introducing a movie? Like, you know, because you, you run, I, what I run into now is like a lot of people haven't seen the movie. So I can't be too like detailed because I don't want to spoil the experience. I just want to set up the experience. So what's your philosophy on like introing? Um, I mean, it can change a little bit film to film, of course, but I again, try to follow the same way because since really cinema family was my actual first experience with programming and hosting things um i still as long as i have time sometimes life gets in the way but if if i get to do my perfect introduction for every single movie my process is the morning of that show i wake up and i rewatch that movie immediately um no matter how many times i've seen it rewatch it and then go on about my day whatever i have to do leading up to the screening i just percolate you know and then again if i have the time in a perfect world one hour before the show then i sit with my notebook and then i write down um like you said context things whether it's like a specific time period or it's a specific country or like a subgenre or a film movement or whatever um but things that have nothing to do with the plot you know that kind of stuff and then I will pull up, if I don't have it in my brain, I'll pull up the cast list and the crew list and see if there are any random things that I know would help people get excited that I didn't think about, you know, like if, I don't know, like some, some random person co-wrote this who directed, you know, your favorite weird horror movie from Ireland that we all forgot about, you know, just whatever shit like that. And then I fill it out from there. And then I study that, just read it while I smoke cigarettes <laughs> and just read over that list 
And then um, in, in rare cases, I will have a notebook with me if it's truly only really only if I have to like remember sponsors and shit because <laughs> I can't retain, I don't, you know, it's hard to care. So I can't retain sponsors that I have to thank usually. <laughs> um, not that I'm not grateful, don't get me wrong. I'm always grateful for money, but it's hard for me to like remember to do that, especially if I'm in a flow. So as long as I don't have to thank anyone that isn't related to what we're, you know, like the actual movie, then I just wing it based upon what I've been sitting in that day. And, you know, I'd say, you know, life's crazy. So it changes, but I'd say 75% of the time it works as I want it to. And something worthwhile comes out of my mouth. There are bomb times, of course, but <laughs> that's kind of, that's the, that's the loose process. It's different if there's a Q and A, of course, you know, but yeah. We're just introducing one. Um, I always think back to when we were showing a bunch of uh, King Who films at Cinefamily. And I basically was like, I need to get a history of Wuxia down pat where I can talk about the mainland in relation to Hong Kong and how the Wuxia genre started as fast as I can without being boring and being exciting. And I did, and that was, that's still one of the intros I think back on. I have my note page from that still. And I try to emulate that one every time. <laughs> Man, I can't even really, I barely remember an intro when I do it. Cause it just, <laughs> because I, well, I mean, I, for me, it's like, I used to prepare a lot more. Like I can't for intros because like, if I try to like read from a note, it just, I just go out there and just talk some shit and just leave. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That, I mean, for Q and A's, I can't do that anymore. I I actually do actively. If I know I'm doing a Q and A, I'm watching the movie. I'm watching the special features. I'm yeah. deep diving, yeah. pulling out fucking books and stuff, and just like yeah. even if I'm asking softball questions for context, I also want to know what I can do to trigger certain stories and that kind of stuff. But like, I I just got to the point now. It's just like I just hype myself up, think about what I can talk about, think about facts. Hopefully nothing gets jumbled or erased right before going to stage because that has happened. The worst, oh, yeah. I, the, the worst that happens to me now is if someone gets added to a Q and A and I didn't. Oh, it's brutal, brutal. Not, <laughs> and, and it's not because I have to ask them questions. That's never the issue. It's it's adding a name I have to remember, and yeah, like I'm. But that so, throws off everything. That yeah. fucks up your whole flow. Because you now something you didn't prepare for. <laughs> I I've been okay. I've been. At you know, adding guests, it's fine, but remembering their fucking name, I can't do it. And it's happened to be like twice in the last year. And it's just like I'm be like, and, and like someone point out the name is thank you. I'm sorry. It's just I it's it's too much. <laughs> I when because when I go do a QA, I'm maxed out on information. You just pushed it over the edge. <laughs> yeah, you can't, yeah. Uh yep. Adding too much water to the glass. <laughs> so uh, after Cinefamily, you actually came over and worked at the American Cinematheque. And could you yes. talk about could you talk about that kind of change? Because like you came, I mean, how were you were brought in as print traffic at first and that didn't last too long? <laughs> yeah. So it was uh so after um I mean everyone knows the story, so I don't need to go into it, but as as things were getting bad at Cinefamily, I left and um with no plan other than I knew I had to leave, you know, it was just at that point. So I didn't have a job. I didn't have anything lined up. Um, 
all i mean the you know the true honest reality i was just like well i'm just going to be sad and high for a while and then hopefully i can get a job <laughs> uh and so, you know, after about a month of the sad and high thing, uh, <laughs> one of my sweet friends, who I also met at Santa Family because she worked there in and out as well, Jody Willie, um, she called me up and I kept ignoring it. So then she called one of my roommates and just came to our apartment. And uh, she was like, come on, we're, we're going to go get coffee right now. And so we were talking and she was like, I'm tired of this shit. I don't want to hear any excuses. This is stupid. Uh I'm going to introduce you to someone, no guarantee of a job, but you guys should just meet each other anyway because you'll be friends. So she set up a lunch with Dennis. And so I met with uh, Dennis. Just real quick, Dennis Bartok, for those yes. who don't know. Yes, sorry. He now runs Deaf Crocodile, the yep. label. Yep, formerly Arbalos, formerly Cinelicious. He's yeah. been all over it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I met with Dennis Bartok and we hit it off. We talked a lot about Bellatar movies, um, so that was fun uh but we were yeah so we were just hitting it off and at the end of it he was like i don't i definitely don't have any like programming jobs i could offer you anything he's like but we may need a print traffic person person soon can you do that and i was like sure you know i did a lot of that at cine family which was true um but it's very different <laughs> for a a, a a a large organization with uh you know things set in place and their own vehicle to go get shit and like a lot more happening also um you know different film festivals different partners all that stuff so i wasn't lying for that one but i certainly did not have any experience doing real print traffic work <laughs> i had well i had the i had the punk house version right like yeah. i knew how to make my own dcps really fast i knew how to like you know, drive up in the hills last minute and beg someone for a print from their house and like try to get back to Santa family in time. Um, but anyway, so that's how it started. And as you know, um, I sucked at that. <laughs> I mean, there, there's no shame in that. God. It's all right. It's like when I would try to be when I was a server briefly at Pizza Hut and then after after the day where I tripped and threw like a tray of soda on this really sad family and their baby, they were like, go, go work in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you, you were put in the right environment, just the wrong position. That's all that was. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. But I mean, that's where, you know, we, we started to hang out and um, of course got on real well with Grant as well. And Gwen and, you know, Dennis there. Um, and yeah, it started because I was working in the same office as everybody else. So I was I was amongst the programmers. Um, and you know me, it comes with the the sickness that we talked about at the top. I can't keep my fucking mouth shut, especially if I'm excited about something. And so uh, for better or for worse, when I would hear things come up, I started to just, you know, maybe mention a title or be like, oh, I know where that print is. <laughs> because <laughs> you know, i because part of the thing is in a family too is i we worked so fast all the time that i needed to as best to my ability memorize all these private collections as much as i could mm -hmm. so that so that i didn't have to look shit up 
So you could just hop on the phone. So when I would overhear questions like that in the cinema tech office, I guess that's kind of where it started, even though everyone just wanted me to instead say, hey, everything's here and all the shows are ready. But instead I was like, nope, we don't have any DCPs for the upcoming weekend, but I know where you can get that Hellraiser 3 print. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Again. Right job, <laughs> wrong position. <laughs> yep. Who who needs a DCP of like Hello Dolly or like Word <laughs> Peace or whatever? That's I, right. But Hellraiser three, I know who Hellraiser three. I know the guy who has that print. <laughs> <laughs> but so I guess you know there's a difference between how it worked at Cinema Family and how it worked for the American Cinematech. Um, could you talk about like, you know, when you're pitching stuff and like, you know, putting together series and obviously it was a little more limited and I don't want to say restricted, but probably a little bit more restricted because it wasn't complete anarchy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it was kind of the switch from, cause like I said as well, one of the, one of the things that Cine family, you know, it did change towards the end as things started to go downhill, but one of the big things was we we refused to do a series that anyone else would do right like and so usually yeah. that meant it was like high concept or you know some angle in that someone else hopefully hadn't thought of at the cinematech it was kind of the opposite not entirely because there were you know there we we worked together on the one word weirdathon <laughs> <laughs> you know there was there were things like that and there were conceptually like leaning series but all of a sudden i was more in the world of like uh potentially getting to work on a touring retrospective um so it it was honestly like the greatest gift to get the you know the the other side of that coin I guess because I as you know like I love that shit too um and so I from my memory uh kind of where things started to pick up more was when I think it was Bergman first I don't remember we there did was Bergman, the... we did Pasolini, we did Visconti. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't remember what came first. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure it was Bergman. Um, yeah, because I think it was wasn't it the Bergman anniversary or something like that. It was tied. Yes, and it was when it was when like Janice was getting the rights, to pretty much everything, and they were going to put out that box set eventually. Um, but I remember Gwen talking about the potential of Bergman series. And just mentioning, like, you know, just asking me, like, you know, if I was passionate about Bergman stuff. And I was like, oh, I'd kill to do a series. But can I, like, and I, when I asked her, I was like, can I, since it's, you know, the double feature model largely um, at the time, I was like, can I do thematic pairings, though, instead of just, like, sequels and shit or whatever? Or, you know, like, what, how it's normally shown, I guess, Um and she was like, I mean, yeah, sure. Just, you know, come up with something and send it my way. And then we'll talk to the touring company. Because that was also great. Because I had done print tours at Cine Family, but not for a retrospective. I had done them for like, you know, fucking extra or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I hadn't uh, I hadn't done them on that level. And, you know, been on email threads with like fucking 16 different movie theaters. And so I think... Again, I could be wrong. Probably have to ask Gwen because her brain's better than mine. But I think that was kind of the beginning of it starting to ramp up a little more. Um, because then when I turned it into Gwen, she was happy. Like mm-hmm. she like she was she was interested in it. 
Um, and I remember in particular, uh, she was very happy just putting that I put seventh seal with the magician. And when she asked why, I just said, well, the, the seventh seal ends in the same way the magician begins. And so if you play them back to back, they become one movie and that changes both of them, you know? And that was kind of the start of all that stuff. And around the same time as when they were, <laughs> when, when poor Dennis uh, sat me down for a meeting to fire me from print traffic, uh <laughs> rightfully so again couldn't be more rightfully so it's insane how long i was allowed to be in that job uh but to fire me from that but by the end of that meeting i was then rehired uh and i think it was called i don't know it was like associate or assistant program or something um but was rehired after the firing <laughs> in the same sit down um yeah, and they were like, you can, you know, we can give you part-time hours and then do whatever needs to be done, pitch what you want. Because <laughs> I just remember you did like, there was that Bergman one. You also did the oscilloscope one. Yeah, well, that's, I was saving that in case you asked the the worst job I'd ever done on stage. Okay, okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll pin that later, but. Well, but we overall... can, that's, the, that's the same connection though, too, because Gwen, I was just sitting there and she got an email from someone at oscilloscope and said, literally said out loud, does anyone care very much about oscilloscope? And I was like, oh my God, me, I love oscilloscope. <laughs> and she was like, okay, put a pitch together for me for a weekend. And that was it, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, but that was a, I would, that was a pretty big deal, you know, outside of like, <laughs> the, one, the, one, the one, I'd like that we're teasing for something later. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. We'll build up to it. Yeah. But yeah. You, you did a lot of stuff and you work with me occasionally because um, you yep. had a big Stephen King series. And I think I jumped yes. in on one of the, I, it was the animal. Oh, we did Tac a couple. We yeah. did the, we did the animal attack triple feature, which was a wild night where we had like, what was it? Cujo <laughs> pet cemetery. And um, was it graveyard shift was the third and graveyard one? shift. Yeah. Cause and we, we had fucking D Wallace came for Cujo. And that was, it's one of my favorite stories. And Dennis likes it too, don't worry. But I was, as you know, I'm not as bad now just because I'm more shy as I get older. But in my time at the Cinematheque, really the only way to put it, I still dressed like a bit of a like, you know, power slut, I guess you would call it. <laughs> um, you know, like bo booty shorts that definitely went higher than anyone needed them to. Uh, and tiny little t-shirts. That's how I ended up on Criterion Channel, formerly Filmstruck and my and I don't even remember which shirt it is, but like my belly's out while I'm introducing Kelly Reichart. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I dressed like a fucking like slutty idiot. And well, I, I was a slutty idiot too. So, uh, <laughs> but anyway, right before that night started, Dennis came up to me and he was like, please tell me you brought something to change into before this Q&A. And I was like, no, I did not. And he, and he meant this too. He said, he was like, honestly, I love how you dress. He was like, you bring a lot of energy to the cinematic. And I love it. He goes, but in the future for like these higher profile Q&As, could you just like put some pants on? And I was like, yep, absolutely fair. No problem. But it was great because Dee Wallace walked up like 30 seconds later. And the first thing she did was touch my leg and tell me she loved my shorts. And I looked at Dennis and I was like, I don't know. It seems like this is the right choice. <laughs> oh fuck I, 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 I how did i not know that because we did both those q a's but 
God, was well, I was just, that's why I was grinning so much during that first one, because I just wanted to make out with D Wallace so bad. <laughs> D was very sweet. And oh, the, such an angel. She was so nice. The craziest thing, I didn't know this until we did both those Q&As for, for that Cujo and Pet Cemetery was they had the sound fucking, the same sound people in both movies. Yeah, so, no, those <laughs> Q&As were great. We, I feel like we learned so much like as the moderator <laughs> yeah. and i i think um did wasn't your birthday didn't we cross midnight during the pet cemetery q a and it became yep. your birthday that day <laughs> we did we did <laughs> and then i and then i just remember i think we both bailed for graveyard shift and there was that shooting at the what used to be the pig and whistle the the yep. They had a fucking club night and there was a like people were coming out of graveyard shifted like literally the fucking graveyard shift. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a Hollywood shooting going on. Yep. Oh, uh, God. I Definitely mean, the f- first and last time that happened close to the theater for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> one, of the, one of these days I'm going to have to I'll have to do a book on all my my tenure as theater manager of the Egyptian and just all the fucking ridiculousness i can't even imagine because my brief because it was rare that i actually needed to like that i was leaving last or close to last and like you know make sure the gates were shut and shit but good god even just those couples (laughs) you know hollywood they've cleaned it up a lot but her true her true self reveals at about 2 30 a.m still to this day hollywood comes back to life I'm going to say this, you know, as much as I love the Egyptian, I am perfectly fine doing shows The Lost Fields 3. (laughs) It's just like, it's just like, it's, it's nice. Like when I leave the theater, it's a nice come down. It's not like I don't have to amp myself up. (laughs) Oh, because you used to be the worst waiting across the street at that fucking bus stop. That bus, which also never came. Because I would would just like hide around the corner by that ATM and that little inlet. Because if you just stood on that, if you stood on that corner by the bus, oh my God, shit was always going off. Dude, I've seen like fist fights in the middle of the streets. I've seen like, and then you have the tourists. It's just fucking chaos. But yeah. Now, was it? Was it 2018 that you left the Cinematheque for the go to Chicago? Was that when it was, or was it? Let's see. Was it, it was set- I the very end. I moved to Chicago on January 1st of 2019. Okay, so yeah. so, so the only reason I say 2018 because uh, the last show I think we co-hosted together, we did um, Dial Code, Santa Claus, and Bloodbeat, yeah. and I gave you the um, fuck. Now I'm forgetting what. The I Mike can't. Ditka Award. Thank you. Yeah, the Mike Ditka. It's over here cinema, with my movies. <laughs> the Mike Ditka, <laughs> Ditka Cinema <laughs> I can't even say it. I don't know, but it, it was it was a sad it was a sad but happy day because it was sad to see you go, but I was happy because you were gonna go do more film stuff. But you you end up going working at the music box, but you had previously already been working for them in some capacity because you were doing their twenty four hour marathon on the the Halloween marathon, I should say, or October marathon, whatever you want to call it. You know the yep. Halloween season fucking marathon. Yes. <laughs> How did that come about? That was actually so right after I, not long after I started at Cine Family, because I remember this moment too. Um, I was on the patio, and. Uh, I get a call from Ryan Ostrike, who is the general manager of the Music Box. And he was also, uh, he ran the nonprofit that is the Denver Film Society. 
when I worked there with Keith and Teresa as well. Ryan was running that when I worked there. Um, so we knew each other from there. And uh, Ryan hit me up and basically said, hey, I don't know if you know, but uh, the Music Bucks does an annual 24-hour horror marathon. Used to be hosted by this guy. Um, I don't know him, but they're like, you know, whatever things have changed, we need a new person to program and host it with me. Um, would you be interested in that? And I lost my mind, of course. I was like, oh my God, I can't, yeah, dude, like the opportunity to do a 24 hour horror marathon, you know, like there's true like fantasy shit, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I said, of course, just let me check and make sure it's cool. Cause at that time also, and, and I will say very much, I wanted to be doing this, uh, whether or not it was healthy for any of us. You know, most of us at Cinefamily at the time are typically pulling 100 hour weeks. You know, we slept there a lot. Um, but again, I loved it. I was, I, I lived for every moment of it uh, at the time. And so I checked with them and just made sure that was cool and said, fuck yeah, let's do it. And what I would do, it was so insane because since, since the workload was so crazy at Cinefamily, I would uh, fly out right before the marathon, get there, sleep for a couple hours, do the marathon, sleep for a couple hours, fly back to LA. Um, but yeah, so I started doing that in 2015 um, with Ryan. And yeah, craziest, still the, you know, one of the craziest calls I ever got. <laughs> so was it by doing that that you got an offer to go work in the music box proper? That's what it eventually led to. Because um, when, so when, we started doing it it wasn't doing super well um it would i'd have to pull up the numbers but it was averaging around you know like 250 300 people total for the whole 24 hours you know and anyone who's been in the music box it's almost 700 seats it's a big theater uh so basically we were like let's switch the tone up let's see if we can you know rebuild this thing um and it went really well uh our first year went very well and it just kept getting better every year um we found a real sweet spot i think and the chicago film going public is very fucking kind and welcoming um and they're also excited when uh i think when people when their goal is to uh you know create a welcoming vibe for that sort of event uh rather than how some of them can be in some places or used to be actually most of them pretty much everyone is just doing good shit with marathons now so it's really nice but they used to be uh you know pretty weird and rough atmospheres for anyone who wasn't uh you know a dude that looked like i do <laughs> <laughs> you know if you didn't look like a retired or active metalhead most of the time they could be pretty harsh but anyway, it went really well and it kept building and it just, and it got to the point by the third year we were selling it out in advance and now it does every year. Um, and so yeah, it just kept going great. And in 2018, when I was out there in October doing the marathon, um, Ryan and I were going for a walk so I could buy cigarettes. This is at like, you know, six in the morning or something. So we're almost there, six more hours to go. We had just started a movie and and we were talking and I was just like very, you know, kind of naked with him. I was like, I'm, you know, I'm floundering a little bit, uh, you know, shit's getting rough. And it was all, it, it was, again, the, everyone at the Cinematheque was nothing but incredible to me. Um, so it was absolutely no one's, uh, through no one's, 
you know, fault there, but I was having some trouble in the land of substance abuse and that kind of stuff. And, you know, life was just crazy. And again, like I said, with Denver, I was getting a little itchy, I guess. Um, and so I just said to Ryan, I was like, yeah, I don't know. You know, I don't know what I'm going to do. And he randomly was like, oh, I'm not saying I could offer anything, but if I could, what would it take to get you to move out here and work for me? And I was like, well, I am a cheap date, my dude, whatever. <laughs> like, I you know, I don't, I don't have a number. You say go and I'll do it. Why not? Uh, and then a couple weeks later, he was like, okay it might happen update soon. And I was like, Oh, weird shit. Cause I just kind of, you know, forgot about it, moved on. Um, assuming nothing would come of it. And then, yeah, exactly two weeks prior to January 1st, he officially sent me an offer and was like, can you move out here and start January 1st? And I was like, Oh God. Okay. And so I, you know, went and talked to you and talked to Grant and talked to Gwen talked to Dennis, uh, and again, everyone was just so supportive and kind and said to Ryan, can I get your FedEx number to mail all my shit? Cause I don't have a car anymore. Uh, and he said, yes. And so then I came out here and the job title was, uh, let's see, what was it? Program manager, I think. So it was for, so I, yeah, I moved out here to start music box and full-time because of the success of the music box of horror, not only did it expand beyond the, you know, the marathon it became like basically a monthly series and now you yeah. just fucking jam pack october with a screening pretty much every day oh every day 31 days we commit fully even the screening the uh because we include the 24-hour marathon in that but what that means is since it starts at noon on a saturday there also needs to be a screening that sunday night so there still is one <laughs> There still is one that Sunday night so that it's proper 31 days. Um, but yeah, it was that was actually a lot of inspiration from uh, you and Christian and Grant and Avram and Spencer and everyone at Beyond Fest uh, because I had I had seen that start happening and, you know, was lucky enough to work with you guys on some of that as Beyond Fest started to do things outside of the festival. And I remember I said to Ryan, I was like, this is a sick idea if you know because people are, are being so responsive with the marathon why don't we see if we can try to expand this puppy um and that really we didn't actually do explore that idea fully until pandemic because during pandemic of course we couldn't have the marathon and so me and ryan talked and he was like should we there's this drive-in that i've been working with should we do 31 days at the drive <laughs> at the drive-in and so we did, which was insane. That was so, oh my God. Cause it's also, it's also out in Pilsen and Pilsen rules. Um, but it is a long way from most places. Um, but so we did that. And when we did that, we were like, we need help with this for sure. And so we invited Katie Reif to join us. Um, and we started on that and it went really, really well. And then the next year, uh, we were like, oh, we should do it again, even though the theater's open. But of course, once people can go to bars and shit, they don't want to go to drive-ins anymore. So the second year didn't do that well, but folks who did come were still so responsive. And we were like, all right, it's time to, let's start this, let's start this puppy up and see if we can do monthly. And so we kicked it off uh, with a screening of someone just before it would have been an awkward screening. We flew in a 35 millimeter print of uh, Shion Sono's Suicide Club from Japan and that was great 
yeah right before that uh but so the monthly shit was going well so we've continued to do it and sometimes more than one a month because we can't help it <laughs> that's that compulsion uh you mentioned beyond fest and i forgot because that reminds me of one of the one of the coolest things I know you got to do was like basically be Dario Argento's friend <laughs> for like a week. <laughs> yeah, that was oh, because the way it went, God, I remember, oh my God, I remember sitting in the office and Gwen was like, okay, we have a driver to go get Argento from the airport, um, but can you go with him, you know, and then make sure he gets into his hotel and all that shit. And then just make sure whoever he's traveling with, you know, they're comfy and they're all set up. And I was like, yeah, sure. I'll go pick up Argento. That's fine. <laughs> uh, and so, I, like, I, yeah, I remember riding to the airport, just like losing my mind. And I was like, all right, keep it together. Uh, and uh, and for anyone who doesn't know, at this point, Argento had just recovered from some bad health times where he couldn't travel and people were worried about him, but he had recovered. And so that's why we assumed this man in his what was he 78 at the time somewhere yes, in there somewhere in there yeah 70 something we we assumed this man would be traveling with someone uh so we get to the airport and i'm waiting and i have a sign that says dear gentle but i don't want to hold that up in case anyone's going to be an asshole so i'm waiting like as the plane unloads and i keep not seeing him and also in my head at this point, I just rewatched the door into darkness series and i always pictured argento as this like very tall very tall man and so finally after everyone else is off the plane i see this very small man uh who looks a lot like terry argento <laughs> coming coming out of the gate and uh you know i see him and i wave bring him over and i said oh you know i don't i don't remember how i worded it but i asked if you know is whoever is traveling with is coming he's like oh it's just me and I was like, holy shit, okay. So we, get, we, we get him in the car, and first thing he says is, can I see the program? And so he's looking at, we brought Beyond Fest stuff with us, and he was looking at that. And I'm texting Gwen furiously. I'm like, nobody is with him. Like, he came by himself. Um, you know, like, obviously, you know, I'll take him to the hotel, whatever. And uh, Gwen was like, okay, get him into the hotel. Make sure he's happy. As soon as you do, come see me. I'm still at the office. After a little bit of drama, a little hotel switching, all that stuff, um, we uh, we get. <laughs> I didn't want to mention we did stick him in the dream hotel, which was. <laughs> he if, was if, so upset. <laughs> well, it, it's a party hotel. It's like yeah, no. As soon as we walked in, it was insane in there because I'd never been there. And we walked in, and it felt like there was a party in the fucking lobby. Like there were purple lights and shit everywhere. <laughs> uh, but he, I, he immediately was like, um, and I was like, okay, can, cause I'm trying, you know, again, I'm furiously texting Gwen, updating her and texting Christian and they're saying different things, but I was like, okay, I gotta just get this done. So I asked him, I was like, are you okay if I get you up to your room staying here tonight and then we'll switch you tomorrow? And he was like, absolutely no problem. You know, whatever. So get him done. I go over to the office. Gwen's there. And she was like, okay, what's going on? So I fill her in on everything. Her and Christian talk. We get it sorted for the not party hotel. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Gwen then says to me, because at that point I was supposed to be theater managing a bunch also during yeah. Beyond Fest that year. That was the plan. I was on the schedule, you know. Uh, so I was doing that and a little bit of like guest stuff. And Gwen said, we will get it figured out. Forget 
everything you were going to be doing for the next four days while he's here, you are his handler. <laughs> and I was like, um, okay. And she was like, so just make sure you're there every morning at the hotel when he wakes up. And then you find out what he wants to do that day. If he wants to see anyone, you make it happen. And then make sure he's here on time for screenings. Here's the people he wants to have dinner with already. And so that's what we did. And every day he randomly, you know, he just hit me up about a random person that he knew in LA and I'd go make that happen. And then there's that day we had lunch with was like fucking Mick Garris and uh, Tom um, Holland and um, Tom Holland. And who else came to that? Was that I Uh, think it was Adam Rifkin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, and that was a, that was so funny because it was a we went to a vegan restaurant um, because much to his chagrin, Argento was a vegan yeah. because of health issues. But well, he was he was happy because he liked that place. Well, <laughs> yeah, I actually picked the place because that we had to because he has um celiac disease too, doesn't he? So he can't yeah. have any gluten. And like I was like this one place, it's like. Because he's a vegan by default because of his diet, and I was like, "This is the one place where I know they label everything gluten free and all that." And like, yep. it's funny because I know <laughs> I know Mick and Adam are vegan. Yep, but, but and Tom, I'm vegetarian, yeah, so it was it, like it was perfect for the majority. But Tom wasn't happy. <laughs> yeah, Tom, Tom, Tom Holland wasn't having any of that shit. He's like, "The fuck is this?" <laughs> oh, but yeah, like, but he was a good choice on that restaurant. That show was good, and he was yeah. so happy. Yeah, I took my girlfriend there when she was here back in March. It's um Cafe Gratitude. Just give it oh, a shout yeah, out. Oh yeah, that's what it is. That's <laughs> yeah. true. The official sponsor of Cinematic Void, Cafe <laughs> Gratitude. I, I'll I'll, t- I'll take that sponsorship. <laughs> we'll just start working it in now. But oh. you know, but, but yeah, so that shit was that was insane. So I was with him all the time, pretty much for four days. And one of my favorites, I'll be quick, but one of my favorite times was when. There was a dinner that was going to happen. We'll call it like the star-studded dinner, right? Mm-hmm. That was going to, if my memory's correct, tell me if I'm wrong, because you'll remember better than me. But at one point, it was going to be Guillermo del Toro and Jordan Peele and uh, and uh, Edgar Wright was going to meet up with him for dinner. But all of that fell through. I like none of it. I don't remember. I don't remember knowing that, but like, I think there was, I never, there was a plan of like a big dinner or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, it wasn't, I wasn't setting that up. Yeah. I believe it was Grant setting that up, but anyway, it didn't happen for whatever reason. And so Grant and I were talking and he was like, well, who could we invite that would be fun and not weird? And so first we knew like, cause you know, Barbara Manuel, if he was going to come see him cause they're buddies, of course. Yeah. Um, so as Barbara, if she was free and then, uh, you know, the, the one, the only sweetest man in Hollywood, Larry Karaszewski, uh, <laughs> <laughs> joined us, joined us for that dinner and gave, I st- Oh God, I'll never forget it. Gave like this beautiful heartfelt toast to Argento and talked about seeing his movies when he was young and how much of an inspiration they were. And it was amazing. And then the rest of the dinner was just Dario and Barbara speaking Italian, having a great time laughing and me and Larry just slamming martinis (laughs) as Larry Larry does. (laughs) That's fucking great. I mean, yeah, but, and that was right before we were supposed to do, because that was the night we had done the Suspiria Q and a, which was good. And then we were supposed to do <laughs> an introduction short Q&A before opera. 
Yeah, and he didn't he bounce. He's like, I'm done. <laughs> and like one of the actors yeah. from Opera showed up. It was um. Oh, what's his name? No, he because he was playing too. Because we had all the right chairs, we were just missing a Dario. What is his name? The man guy in that movie. Was it William McNamara? Yes, Billy McNamara. Yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah. So he was there, but Dario, because we just gone to dinner right in the you know in the mm-hmm. the like fucking courtyard of the Egyptian. And so we come out and first thing, it was the moment that Dario told me to stop smoking so much around him because he had been forced to only smoke two cigarettes a day at this point in his life by what he said, his, he said his goddamn doctors and his wife. Uh, <laughs> and, he, and he said, he said, but every time we step outside, you light a cigarette. So it's really hard. So he had been like chain smoking with me. <laughs> <laughs> and so he asked me to stop and then asked for one more cigarette i'm not i can't can't say no to the maestro no uh, obviously um and so we smoked a cigarette and then he goes you know i'm very tired is it okay if barbara takes me back to the hotel and i was like um okay do you want to you know i tried and like and i'm also trying to pretend that i'm not fucking tanked which happened every time that i ate with Dario because he drinks wine like a glass of wine to him is two two gulps that every fucking glass and yeah. so i was trying to keep up and so i'm drunk as shit but trying to pretend i'm doing fine and it was just like oh do you want to do like a quick introduction then we get you back and he goes no i think i'm gonna go and i was like okay so we come in and i meet billy mcnamara who was just an absolute peach of a human and meet him explain to him and he was like you know he's bummed of course because he wanted to see dario but he was like no problem we'll have some fun and since i was drunk i had the stupid idea and i love that annette got pictures of it because i said to him i was like should we leave all the chairs and we just sit on opposite ends and he was like, yeah, I love that. So it's just like, <laughs> we're so far away from each other for this Q&A without Dario Argento. But it was great. And he was he was a good sport. <laughs> I don't know. I, I remember like the one night we had to walk Argento back to his hotel, you and I. Oh. Uh, because the only re- that, reason I'm not bringing it up because I'm in it. I'm bringing it up because the revelation he dropped on us. Yep. So I, I think we walked we walked him back to his hotel. I was like, come have a drink with me. And we're like, oh, fuck, we're going to have a drink with Dario Argento. You've already sure. had plenty, but like that was going to be my only one. <laughs> <laughs> and then I don't know how it started, but we started talking about his movies. And then just I feel like I ran. Well, he, asked, he asked why we could sell out so many screenings of Suspiria. Because he just kept saying, why do so yeah. many people want to watch Suspiria? <laughs> and... And we're just like it, it. I forget what we said, but we just like you know it's fan favorite, and it's just like you know. And I, I was like, but I like, I don't know how it happened, but Inferno got brought up. I don't know if it was you or me because we both love Inferno. Well, I think maybe it was. Did you show him his tat- your tattoo or something? I, I showed. I showed him my four flies tattoo. We we're just. I think we were talking about more of his deep cuts, or maybe not even deep cuts, but like the you know, Suspiria gets all the love, but like the man's got a fucking killer filmography, That's and right. I just and I just remember him like. Suspiria, okay. Inferno's my masterpiece. And I remember yes. we were just like, yeah. Like trying not to scream and lose our minds because we were like, we were right, and now no one can argue with us. <laughs> so much so that you ended up doing the last QA with them. And um <laughs> and I remember so- this is because you you you, you kind of set him up to say in the QA and he delivered. <laughs> and I just remember like the audience just being like, I don't know, confused, but he's like 
it was like verbatim like what he said to us at the yep. hotel bar it's like eh, spear is okay inferno is my masterpiece yep i knew i was like i'm pretty i think he's gonna go <laughs> with me if i if i set it up and sure as shit he did <laughs> oh. you know what you want to talk about some of the other things you've been doing in chicago you do more than music box horror you also have highs and lows sure. and yes. oscar bait so why don't you talk because um highs and lows kind of predates at the music box because yes. you you did it kind of like I don't want to say off the grid. What's the term? Like you were doing it on like some gritty, dirty programming outside the city. Well, it it came from, it was like we had talked about earlier and in a positive way, in my opinion, especially looking back, but I loved what the Cinematheque was teaching me and how much I was learning in the realm of, you know, what I would call (laughs) legitimate programming, Uh, (laughs) like learning how to, you know, work with, truly anyone in the world and like all these different retrospectives and all that shit and i loved it and i lived for all of it and i loved the screenings you and i were doing but again that fucking itch that i can't ever seem to get rid of i was you know i was talking to one of my buddies and i was like i want to do more on top of this but i don't know what to do and my buddy mike perry who is part of hollywood entertainment uh, who does screenings all over LA still now. Um, they do, oh shit, what's it called? Whammy? Because I haven't been there. Oh, uh, Whammy? Whammy Analog, the um, yes. VHS spot. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So they do a bunch of shit with them. They did a big Clifford screening recently, like Mike Stream. <laughs> Mike Stream come true, the Clifford casting crew reunion. Um, <laughs> but so Mike, who we had worked together at Cine Family, um, but Mike, Similar to when Jody came over to like slap me in the face and tell me to snap out of it. Mike was like, quit whining about stuff. Let's just do it. Um, I've got a little money. We couldn't figure something out. And so we just started talking about shit. And then someone had done a double feature of, uh, I'm pretty sure it was, it was a Tupac movie alongside 47 meters down, which was a new release. And he was like, what the fuck? Why did they do that? That's awesome. And so we, (laughs) We started talking about that and uh, Mike came up with this idea. He was just, and a lot of it too was birthed from certain, uh, you know, I try to be nice these days, so I won't name names, but certain programmers who love nothing more than the power of gatekeeping and love to shame people for either not loving the right movies or loving the wrong movies, you know, in whatever direction. And seeing that happen a lot in certain settings, uh, where young people were so excited to try to be a part of the film scene in LA and watching their dreams and hopes like get fucking shattered because you know someone's ego is too big. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all of that like was like, it was like a confluence into this idea of like, well, why don't we fuck with all of that and just try to do something that you know, hopefully everyone will find an entry point and interest in, but doesn't give anyone a leg up on anyone else. It's just like, movies are fucking cool. We should just watch more of them and talk about it. <laughs> and so, yeah. So Highs and Lows was born. Uh, the first one that was ever come up with was Mikey and it was Billy Madison and Phantom of Liberty. And then quickly, uh, quickly we were like, oh my God, Dumb and Dumber and Ituma Tambiana, the same fucking movie. Uh, and so we just started tumbling and we put it on uh, at... <laughs> more connection to Cinematech at a theater that was formerly in the parking lot of the (laughs) Cinematech because no one else would have us to be frank but uh the guy that ran that place Arena Center Lounge had just opened up a new spot and he invited us uh to do it there 
Um, and we were like, yeah, sure. And, you know, of course, as many, you know, it's a thing that should be said, if anyone listening is wants to get into freelance programming, just remember that the biggest thing, if you love movies as much as we do, you probably will never make any real money off of it. And you have to be okay with that. <laughs> like, you know, God bless to anyone who's pulled it off and does make like a, you know, comfortable living off of programming or freelance programming but most of the people especially the ones who have the sickness like we do that we're talking about usually don't make much money off of it and so in true fashion highs and lows at its inception was promised quite a bankrolling but at the end of the day you know we ended up putting in like a thousand dollars instead of getting paid anything but it was worth it and anyway during that uh when we were trying to think of more doubles mike texted one of his friends from chicago john dixon they were buddies when Mike lived here and John helped was helping with some of the double bills and some of those ideas and all that shit. And so then when I moved out of Chicago, I met John and me and John started talking about trying to do screenings together. And so we started uh, a film collective called Oscar bait spelled in the super mature way, like masturbate. Um, <laughs> so it's a, it's a film collective and we do a podcast and uh we started that and asked Mike if he was interested in bringing highs and lows back in Chicago. And so we did it as a film festival like we did in LA and we did that and it went and it went pretty well. Um, people really responded to it. We had a lot of fun. Mike came out for it. Um, and then there was going to be a round two because that was called volume one or whatever. Uh, but Music Box Wisely was like, that's a crazy thing to take up the space of a film festival. <laughs> why would we, why would we do that again? <laughs> so, but thankfully the uh, eternally generous Ryan, when we hit him back about highs and lows part two, he was like, why don't you guys just have a residency? But yeah, so we do it monthly. And then we also just did a big Robert Zemeckis film series. And that might actually go on tour. That was the email I was sending. Nice. Uh, someone reached out to us for some reason and was like we love the idea that you guys think he's actually smart and worthwhile and that Forrest Gump is a hateful angry movie and so it's welcome tomorrow and uh so do you want to take it on tour so if that happens we'll see you guys in LA soon uh and then let's see otherwise if you want to listen to our dumb fucking show um we are excited we just had David Gregory on yesterday um, because we are doing the foolhardy task of going through all uh, 173 of Jess Franco's movies in order. Holy shit. <laughs> God, Godspeed. Godspeed. <laughs> now, now with the Franco ones, do you have to watch every version of every film? I do because I want to. So <laughs> my co-host, so the rule we came up with, because we just started a Patreon, uh, is that all the episodes will be public except for the porn ones that Lena directs mostly with Jess, you know, because I mean, the true thing that's going to be fun to realize is that Lena's the true sick fuck of the two and that's why we love her. Uh, but she directed most of the porn stuff they did, or at least a good amount of it. Um, so those will be Patreon. And then also when we talk about something like The Demons, which has four cuts, I love all of them for different reasons. Because again, I can't not watch every shred of any movie that I care about. 
by half the like German media book release uh, with all with all four cuts that they made 300 copies of. Um, so the public episode will be about probably the French export version because that's like the one from the Kino disc. Um, we'll probably do that one. And then the other three cuts, if you for some reason are like, oh my God, I have to have that, you give us money and then you can hear me yammer on about why it matters that there are four versions of Just Franco's The Demons. <laughs> <laughs> that I, you know, I don't even have words for like that undertaking. I'm so excited. <laughs> but but you're the only human that I know. I don't even think Stephen Thrower could sit through them like in chronological <laughs> at this well, point. Well, we're we're also to to Stephen's credit, we will be going in the order put forth by him, where it is order of when they were being made, rather when they were released, so that we can properly trace all of Franco's obsessions and tropes and all those things. <laughs> that, but that actually that makes a lot of sense because like, you know, I as we're going on to another director sidebar here, Franco was making like <laughs> two or three fucking movies like at the same time. And then like yeah. some would come out right away. Some, I think some weren't even really finished and they would just come out like years later. Yeah. Some of them have repurposed footage. I mean, uh, there's a reason why he won a fucking Goya lifetime achievement award, <laughs> which is Spain's Spain's equivalent to the Oscars. Yep. It, and he fucking deserved it. <laughs> oh, he, oh, he did. It's like shit, man. Dude, that's why. And if you look, if you if you're still resistant to the the you know in, incredible hip, hypnotizing gaze of Jess Franco, uh, just remember that Pedro Madovar used footage from Bloody Moon to kick off his movie Matador while they're masturbating together. So, well, no, if, it's, I it, what, it, what else do you need? I mean, no, it's a, yeah, it's Antonio Banderas masturbating to Matador yeah. and fucking um, yep. Blood and Black Lace. So yep. <laughs> that's the that's the seal quality though. It's like, is your movie good enough for Antonio Banderas to masturbate to? That's that that's the standard for all genre movies, I think. <laughs> I guess talking about Franco, it it leads into like, I'm, sorry for that. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. It. I, I, this is why I love you because we can go down these fucking <laughs> <laughs> like just insane, like into the mouth of cinematis completely and, <laughs> and never to return. But one thing I was going to ask you about, and this is, you know, obviously you do stuff outside of genre stuff, but like, you know, we live in an age where like a lot of the movies we love come from eras where things were not very. I don't want to say politically correct because a lot of those movies weren't pl politically correct then either, which is something I always <laughs> yes. want to stress is yes. that like it, it, yeah, the movies in the seventies were fucking wild, but doesn't mean that weren't people like, yo, this shit's wild. I don't know about this, but yeah. like, <laughs> you know, having done things at like, you know, a variety of different venues, like, you know, it's, it's a lot different to show exploitation movies and problematic movies. And like, you know, what's your approach to like handling that stuff? Because everyone has a different way of like, you know, trying to present and give context. And even sometimes when you do your best, it still like doesn't quite land. So, you know, yeah. how do you navigate <laughs> this world? Um, well, it, I always try to start with um, my goal always when I'm, if I'm showing something and introducing something that goes, I, I like to call it sticky or crunchy territory. <laughs> um, Cause if you use also, I will say it. And I learned this from Joe Rubin. 
There's a reason when Joe Rubin talks about adult films, he calls them sex films and not porn, because as soon as you say porn, automatically there's a reaction built in, right? Whether positive or negative, a lot of people are immediately closed to that idea. And it's the same with these certain buzzwords about this kind of stuff, whether, you know, whether it's problematic uh, or not politically correct or whatever. But so that's why I try to use sticky or crunchy. Uh, <laughs> um, but I try to start from a place of respect for the audience, for me anyway. And it's not, again, I'm never, just to be clear, I'm not saying this is how everyone should do it ever programmers or otherwise i'm never trying to tell everyone that i'm doing it the right way just doing my best um i try to start from a place of respect and know that if i talk about the movies in a way that is clear about that stuff for the people who haven't seen it but doesn't use any of those uh incendiary words that would ruin it potentially for people who also haven't seen it uh then you know, that's what I shoot for because for me, and it's, I talked to someone about this recently, like, you know, everyone's favorite to quote for everything, John Waters. He talks about it all the time, right? That he loves to be triggered by a movie, right? Like that's what he comes to art for is to be shocked and to be triggered and surprised. I feel the same way on a personal level. I know everyone doesn't feel that way and I have no issue with that, but I also think going completely in the other direction of listing out every potentially sticky thing that could come up in a movie will only make people just see those things and they might miss out on uh you know a really special and interesting and unique experience so i guess the balancing act is figuring out how to word things where you don't use any of those words that automatically set people off but you also present the information for those who want to hear it and you present it in a way that doesn't ruin it for those who don't want to hear it because a lot of genre people that have kept this shit alive and that, you know, run home video labels and run incredible film festivals, a lot of people came to it the same way you came to punk and metal, right? Where like the whole point was you wanted to find something that was upsetting a lot of people. And that was the excitement to join with other people who like that kind of stuff, who like confrontational art, who like art that you know, maybe presents its ideas in a very in-your-face way and maybe in a maybe in a messy way um, and sometimes in a, you know, bad way, whatever. But I just, I don't know. It's, it's hard for me when we completely lose sight of that idea that that's why this stuff is still going and that's why these kind of screenings can still exist is because of people who used to be losers, right? Like even we were talking about with Halloween three, something as tame as Halloween three, right? You used to get us berated publicly like <laughs> on the street, you know, like, no, I had like fucking horror bros come at me. Like I thought they were gonna try to kick my ass because I had a Halloween three tattoo, but it's why horror and genre films at large are alive is because it used to be an underground thing and people who really connected with it desperately wanted to find other people who liked that kind of stuff. And so I try to keep them in mind also when I'm introducing a movie, like I don't want it to, I never want it to feel like you're at a fucking, you know, like nothing against them, but I don't ever want a genre screen to feel like you're at a screening at like a museum or, at, you know, like I don't want it to feel like that. Cause it, I don't think it should. And I don't think it does anything uh, beneficial for the art and what the art can potentially say. If you try to clean it up to that level. 
you know i think i truly think there's a way to get things across for like i said the people who want to hear it and to not ruin it for the people who don't want to hear it and sorry very long-winded but that's <laughs> all of that is what's spinning in my head every time i show a movie that i know some people will be really upset about and i also the biggest thing for me too is that i have to remind myself constantly is that the internet is not the real world and that i have been i won't mention the specific but recently got myself in hot water again because of being a part of showing something that a lot of people are upset about but what's been amazing is all the people who you know, if you look at the internet, wanted me and everyone else dead involved in this thing. I have now, I've met almost all of them in real life and we had great conversations and now we are very friendly with each other and we were able to understand where both of each other were coming from. And so I try to remember that too, because the fucking internet is not real life. It's not real. It's a terrible place. <laughs> and in real life, what I love is when I show something and if I fuck up an intro or I forget to mention something, you know, maybe that truly, truly needs to be mentioned. Um, if I forget and someone comes up to me and they're like, dude, what the fuck? It sucks that you just like didn't prepare anybody for that. I can say, you're totally right. That's completely my bad, you know, and then do better the fucking next time. <laughs> I mean, that's probably the best you could really say because it's it, it's navigating because it's like you don't want to not show those movies because there no. is value in fucking grimy cinema i guess bigger picture where do you see the landscape of repertory cinema like heading you know obviously it's evolved you know it it, it felt like i don't want to say it felt very niche like a pre-pandemic but i feel like there's been a boom in like repertory oh, right now like absolutely yeah so i guess where do you see like repertory heading or like evolving to because like you know old movies are always going to be around yep i'm very hopeful one of the reasons i'm most hopeful is how disillusioned young people seem to be with streaming which is great because i think one of the things that pandemic helped highlight to a lot of people young and whatever any direction was how fucking shitty <laughs> and boring and truly just money-driven streaming has always been, right? Um, you know, excluding a couple places, of course, but that that's truly the goal. And the goal is to show you the same shit over and over so you want more of the same shit so they can know that every time they make something, you will watch it and keep fucking watching it. And I think it really reminded people of that. And last october was one of the most inspirational like you know i try not to toss that word around but i was truly inspired by the reaction because one of the things i really wanted to do and it came about in our program meetings for 31 days because everyone else was tired of me trying to convince them to show you know really out there stuff in normal slots right like trying to get a seven o'clock for some crazy fucking shot on video movie or whatever. Um, so they were very kind and they were like, if we give you a sidebar where you can pick four, will you just stop trying to ruin <laughs> the other stuff? And I was like, hell yeah, I can do that. And so it's called the ninth circle of hell. And the goal was with that year, I was like, I'm going to start with something that at least has like, right. If you Google it, you get it a lot but still a lot of people haven't seen it. So we started with one of my favorite movies ever, 964 Pinocchio. Um, and we got over 200 fucking people to come out to 964 Pinocchio. And a lot of them were straight up teenagers and I could have fucking cried and they loved it. And everyone was also 
fucking quiet and respectful and having a great time in the theater reacting still you know but no one was being a shit they all loved it and when they came out they were like are there more things that exist like this and so you know i a lot of people watch rubber slover that night when they got home and (laughs) but it was crazy to see that and then the next like two weeks later we had over 150 people for fuck the devil one and two and then sold out a screening in the small theater, but still sold out a screening of Corn Shucker. And then we showed Atma, which is like a 2006 uh, Bollywood movie. Uh, and it was, the reception was crazy. Like so many people coming up to me, just thanking me. And again, like every variety of human you could imagine. And what I think happened during pandemic is I think a lot of people remembered how weird life is if there's, <laughs> and I don't mean in reality violence, but if there's no violence and there's no sex right because i think people got tired of marvel movies too right they're like they're really eerily sexless and bloodless like they're truly you know of another world but not in an interesting way (laughs) like you know they're so they're so like shrink wrapped and i think people started to see that and that's why they're all of a sudden they were like you know what actually corn shuckers are good movie <laughs> i was like i don't know what world i'm in but i'm happy i'm here <laughs> i i think you're absolutely right i think like you know kind of like as the 60s were ending and we were like american cinema was at least at the end of the bloat of the musical and i know probably some people don't like me doing this comparison but i've done it before it's like you know superhero movies or at least of the last like 10 20 years whatever the fuck it's been now are basically musicals they operate in the same way they're just big spectacles that they spend a lot of money on have a lot of stars and instead of fucking musical numbers you get action set pieces that all kind of feel vaguely the the same and obviously i haven't really seen well I've, i've seen one marvel movie and that was iron man back in 2008 so i haven't but Unfortunately, I've seen almost all of them, and I completely agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of it's kind of good to know that my guess was accurate or whatever. But I mean, this I mean, it's just based on the trailers and the clips and stuff. And it just I I think we're heading. I would love to feel like we're heading towards like that late sixties, seventies, like kind of creative boom again. And I think we are. I, and I don't know if it's going to come from the studios or the indies or a combination. I think it's going to be a combination. I think there's going to be studios that are going to be kind of hip to it and know what to do. And then it's going to be like, you know, I love to live in a world where like there's challenging, inter- interesting personal films again. And oh. I do. And I do think and I've had people say this, that I think like rep cinema is actually preparing the next wave of filmmakers that are going to be able to do it. Could not agree more. Could not agree more. And I just, I got to say to you, <laughs> just to nail it home, I completely agree with comparing superhero movies to the, like the end of musicals. But why I think it's more dire and why I think more people are waking up is the one benefit of musicals is there's an inherent camp value to even a shit fucking musical because it's so, it's so odd still that people are breaking into song, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's at least a little gay, even if it sucks, which is nice. But superhero movies, again, they're truly, they've been completely stripped of anything that resembles like human. Yeah. <laughs> and that, I mean, so it's it's like, yeah, it's like if, fuck, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's just a, even more extreme. I guess it's logical because it's when that happens again, it's going to be worse, right? right? Like when 
cycles repeat, usually it's worse than the last time. <laughs> yeah, and cycles tend to repeat way too much. But yep. I'm just, I don't know. That's I'm very hopeful, and I think like you know, I've talked to plenty of other my colleagues that do rep cinema across the country, and like their rep screening numbers are up, like significantly. Oh, Music Box is slaying with rep stuff, and it's been and one of the greatest things too, and. I always try to mention this to people that I've loved is again, positive or negative. The thing I keep hearing from people at not just my own screenings, but screenings at large is fucking respect (laughs) where, where the exhibitors and the people putting this shit on are like, you know what? People can decide for themselves. They can handle some stuff. They can be given the opportunity to, you know, be human beings and think through things. And if they're super excited, awesome. If they're super mad, also awesome, whatever. Like, and again, as long as it's in real life, everyone can just talk about it under the marquee afterwards and good things can happen. So just, I guess, as as long as the internet keeps its pummeling towards its death, I think rep cinema is going to (laughs) slay. I think so. I mean, it's just like, you know, Vinyl and records are fucking huge again. Yep. Watching movies on film is fucking huge again. Yes. Uh, I I want to ask you, so as we kind of wind things down here, like, you know, as a film program, you have certain events that you kind of kind of always stick with you as your personal favorites. What are some of your favorite personal events? Ooh. Okay. Let's see. Favorite ones. God, there are so many. I've been I've been so incredibly lucky. I gotta say, and again, shout out to everyone who has foolishly employed me over the years. Because also, similar to the dentist story, almost everyone I've ever worked for has had to fire me, but then rehired me <laughs> while I was working for them. So thanks, thank you know, big shout out to everyone for whatever reason continuing <laughs> to want to work with me. Um, my oof, absolute favorites. Let's see. One of my favorites, even though it was technically, uh, it, it looked bad, but I loved it because I learned so much. Uh, when we were doing the Chantal Ackerman retrospective in Los Angeles, we brought out Babette Mangold, who shot a lot of, or quite a few of Ackerman's movies. And when I met her, we were just chain smoking cigs, talking about how Fastbender's third generation is the best and most slept on movie in his career. And it was great. We were having so much fun. And then the moment we got on stage, oh man, she hated me and just wanted to embarrass me. And every question I asked shot me down, just destroyed me. But it was great because I learned so much. Uh, <laughs> and again, and again, after the screening, we were best buds again. Uh, but she was, cause she was, you know, she was a punk. Um, so that one I really do cherish. I know it sounds like I'm just being silly, but I truly, because it was a great learning experience of how to get through a Q&A when you have a guest who has no interest in helping you make it good. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's valuable, you know? That's really valuable. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's one of those things. It's like, you know, most Q&As can go normal, but occasionally you have, and, you know, I just dealt with Abel Ferraro who like, yeah, yeah. they don't want to be moderated. I You're just up there to maybe point to the crowd and stuff like that. And like, personally, I don't sure. like those kind, but like sometimes you get people, they're just naturally cantankerous and like, just like, Oh, I've been asked <laughs> this. It's like, yes, you've been asked that question before and probably multiple times, but the crowd that is, you're going to give the answer to probably has no fucking idea what you're going to say, but yeah. Yeah. 
but <laughs> but it, it's variety. You never know. You could you know get someone like Joe Dante who's really giving and will like go deep and that kind of stuff. Or you get got John Carpenter will give you a one word reply and let you hang. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, um, I really, I really loved. Uh, one of my favorites also was um, Jim Moreau, who directed Street Trash. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I booked that movie for the marathon, which I believe was 2015, it's 2015 or 2016, but I booked it and I was talking to someone else, uh, the person who runs Synespia in LA, and I was like, I'm going to invite the director to come. And he was like, Good luck, dude. Born again Christian. And I was like, Shit, okay. And I looked, and at the time, IMDb Pro was truly just like a lion share of, I assume, accidental personal email addresses, but they were everywhere. And so, assuming it was wrong, but I emailed the address there, and it was indeed his personal AOL. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I emailed him, and just, you know, very casual, just invited him. And he replied like that day and was like, Sounds awesome. Let me know the details. And uh, turns out, he married someone who's a very intense Christian and that person demanded that until their children were 16 years old, they couldn't know that he had a career in movies. And then he made things like street trash and the kids were just shy of that, but he decided to do it anyway and tell them he was going on a business trip, (laughs) (laughs) which also though, by the way, that can't, that, I mean, maybe, maybe they sometimes boring Christians don't use the internet. Because I was like, just Google it. I mean, we put it on the website. But regardless, that Q&A was a blast because clearly he'd been wanting to talk about it for decades. <laughs> and he gave me the best answer ever because, you know, anyone who loves street trash, what we all want to know is the dicks, right? Like when the dicks start flying. And what he told me was, he was like, you should have seen the table because we didn't have any lenses. We had one lens for the whole movie. So we couldn't do Zoom like really at all. Like we couldn't, everything is the same depth of field in that movie for a reason. <laughs> he was like, he was like, so we had to build like six different dick sizes. So when you see it like huge, it's not like a close up or anything. That dick's just that big. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my favorites of all time, for sure. Um, let's see. And last one, I mean, anything with Penelope Spheres, anytime. Anytime I get to be near her or talk to her or even just email with her, um, Penelope's a fucking legend and she's the best. Uh, and also Udo last year at the marathon. That was my, that was, you know, I've, I've gone on that rodeo with Udo before for Q and A's, but this one, the one moment I'll highlight, especially well, t- in typical Udo fashion, when you try to end a Q and A, he won't let you. I think it's very flirty, you know, and every time I tried, he just, wouldn't let it happen and so then finally he was like just ask me about some of my other movies and i was like well if we want to do that and so you know we talked german chainsaw massacre we talked uh spermula and then i was like well since we're at a horror marathon you you were in one of guy madden's you know kind of horror movies with keyhole and he goes oh guy asked me to come for him and if you haven't seen that movie there's a scene where udo comes really intensely and it's mostly just focused on his face and he reenacted it on stage for that for that crowd but for even longer than it happens in the movie so it was just like squirming in his chair periodically making eye contact with me while he fake comes for everybody <laughs> and i gotta you know 
I love that. <laughs> oh, bless oh. fucking Udo Cure. Udo, Udo forever. Udo forever. Oh, what a f- absolute <laughs> fucking maniac. <laughs> Oh, one of the one of the last, you know. He's yeah, a, he's a he's a dying breed. Whether you feel that's good or bad, he's a dying breed, and I will cherish him. <laughs> yeah. I guess unless you got a couple more, I was gonna say on the flip side, just for people that are listening to <laughs> as as film programmers, things don't always go right. So, in if you're comfortable with it, do you mind sharing some of the times where shit did not go right? Sure. I guess we'll, we'll build up to the the big one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, one really silly one, but that was fun. It was actually maybe you can help me remember his name. Probably not, but I need at a the little. Arrow, I, actually, I need a little bit more than just at the arrow. <laughs> at the, yeah, at the at the arrow. This was randomly during whatever festival we were showing that Swedish movie. Pretty sure it's Swedish that it was now remade with Tom Hanks recently. Um, and the Swedish one, I. I guess is a, a man called Ova. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Um, I kind of yeah. remember that maybe. And I don't even remember why I was doing that Q and A. Cause that was not normally, you know, I did Q and A's periodically, but that was normally not the kind that I got called in for. Well, I, I'm going <laughs> to tell you what happened. Gwen was going to do it and then bailed and stuck you with it. <laughs> She's done that to me too. <laughs> but I remember when she asked me, to do it i was like yeah sure whatever as long as and my my rule always you know i've had to do it once against my will i refuse to do a q a or even introduce a movie without having seen it i will not do it but so I, I watched it and i was like that's fine sure i can you know i can make some questions out of this because there's enough like that movie has enough like random like finish style humor where i was like we can just talk about aki kursamaki and shit it'll be fine yeah. <laughs> so i practice it and i'm like okay I, you know, and I meet the dude and I even do the thing, uh, I even do the thing where as soon as I meet him, I was like, I'm so sorry. I know this is, you know, can be rude and annoying, but just want to make sure I get it right. Can you, you know, pronounce your name for me? And he did. And he was like, no problem. Very nice guy. Uh, (laughs) and, uh, so I practice it good to go everything so i i get up there and it's one of those times where it's shocking to me but it's because i was newer i didn't realize how well movies did like that at the arrow and so i come into the theater assuming there's going to be like you know maybe 100 people and it's fucking packed for this shit and so i introduce the movie and then it ends and I go up to say his name that I practiced so many times and I couldn't have been more off. Like I couldn't oh, have, I God. might as well have just said like, your name is like gobbledygook chair. Like <laughs> it doesn't like it truly like nonsense came out of me. Uh, and the moment he gets on stage, he sits down and looks me right in the eyes and, and just says it to me, looking me right in the eyes. And I was like, I'm so sorry. And he goes, it's okay. Happens everywhere. <laughs> like, oh. But it was fine. We made it through. Yeah. Um, don't 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 feel bad i i did i did one worse i did one worse on something much easier bernard rose like oh coming in i call him i call it's like i was like is it bernard or bernard he's like actually technically both right but i prefer bernard i'm like sure and i called oh no and i got up there like give it up to the director of Candyman, bernard rose fuck (laughs) so don't feel bad about butchering a fucking <laughs> swedish actor's name when i like botched the fucking like easy one 
that I knew better. But that's that's what happens when you get on stage. Sometimes, like you lose all fucking. Well, sometimes it goes. And look, yeah. it's a small a small aside. And don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to like uh, I like turn turn film programmers or hosts into idols, you know, or anything. Because we're not. We're just normal people. But I will say, people forget how often. Oh, it's crazy how often people forget that we have to perform. You know, like it's yeah. it's not the same as when we've both been in bands. It's yeah. not quite the same as doing that. I think it's worse. <laughs> More pressure. Well, <laughs> because it, it's just one person and you don't have any music to back you up. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're in a punk and hardcore bands like we were, you could fucking turn your back to the crowd. You can roel around screaming. If you're feeling weird, you can just yell. <laughs> <laughs> you, it's like you don't you can you can perform without engaging with the in the with the audience but when you're introducing a movie you have to engage with the audience and like yeah and you know having done it in different rooms like you know there's a difference between doing it at the music box as opposed to the arrow or the egyptian yeah, or and all that every time it's different yeah. energies different rooms and like i yep. you know we can both talk about like you know it's just like being in a being in certain rooms like you know you're gonna play well other ones like you got to fight for it because it's just a crowd. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, well, that's the key too. You got to know when to call it and when to seek new avenues. But <laughs> anyway, so next one, uh, Don Mancini, uh, who wrote the original story for Child's Play and eventually would start directing them um, at a certain point, which I will also, if anyone wants to tell me Seed of Chucky is bad, let's go. I will fight you. Oh, fucking see it. Chucky's great. You got John Thank Waters you. and well, Red Man. <laughs> that's why we're friends. And that great Britney Spears joke. Shit just goes off. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I love that movie. But uh, anyway, Don Mancini came to the marathon and uh, doesn't matter why all the details. This is a good moment. Good moment. Calling back to what we were talking about earlier. One of the best things I learned early on was that no matter what's going on in life, you got to fucking suck it up. And do your job right when mm-hmm. it's especially for a QA, not just an intro. This is one of those times I could not, I failed at sucking it up. There was some shit going on and I couldn't get it out of my head. And it got way worse seconds before I went on stage, which is also a lesson if you're hosting something, don't look at your phone unless you have to, uh, for a reason for the QA. Turn off your notifications because you never know like which random friend from like second grade is going to text you and tell you, you know, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) So I didn't do that. And so I was really flustered, which is crazy too, because this was a dream Q&A for me, right? Like this, I am, Chucky might be the top for me. Like gun to my head, if I had to franchise favorite, sometimes it's Chucky. I love it. I love all of it. So I was so excited, so well prepared, but I, it couldn't have been worse. Like the way I started. So when I introduced him, I said, director and writer of child's play and he already had his mic and he goes i didn't direct this fucking movie tom holland did and i was like yeah yes yep i know i'm sorry and he immediately was just like yeah you know we'll talk about him and he talks about how much of an asshole tom holland is which you know whatever that's (laughs) that's fine do your thing but everything i tried because it was so sour from the get i couldn't get it and it was one of those times after the Q&A, we had a great time. We hung out for a bit. Everything was good. You know, we're friendly yeah. if we do see each other. But I soured it instantly by, you know, accidentally saying that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so no matter what I said, 
he would still, you know, he's a he's also a performer in his own right. And he would still give answers because he loves his fans and he's grateful that people love Chucky and he, you know, it's still going. But the whole QA was so dour and so flat, no matter what I did. And I kept I tripped over my own shit, like stuff that I would have loved to talk about. Um, you know, like even towards the end, I was like, you as far as I am aware, uh you know, in the United States, at least for sure. This is the first time there's like an outwardly trans character who's killing people in a movie and it's fucking awesome in The Child in Seed of Chucky. Yeah. And I was like, was that some, you know, who knows how I worded it, but I, you know, asked asked him about it and he was like, well, yeah, that, that, was, our, that was our goal. And I was like, all right. <laughs> God. <laughs> and it's one of those times you just can't you can't recover no matter how hard you try you just keep fucking making it worse somehow and there's no and but it, but you're locked in right you've experienced yeah. this obviously when yeah. you're especially with the marathon too because everything's scheduled so tightly you have to fill a certain amount of time yeah because i've been i've been in q a's in just like a a regular setting where there's you know it's clearly not going well it's just a night at the movies and it's better for everyone to just call it yeah <laughs> and you do but when you have to fill a certain amount of time oh god and you're thrown off and that's what it was with sweet Don mancini and it just got worse and worse worse <laughs> and i was just like fucking flop sweating and also this is what it like yeah, we finished that QA, I think, at like 1 a.m. So I still had 11 hours to go hosting the marathon. <laughs> oh, God. Yep. That's, that's, yep. Bru- that, that's brutal. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, so yeah, cause, yeah, because like, you know, when you're moderating QAs, which not every programmer moderates QAs, but a lot of them do. Well, some of them don't hate themselves. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, you know, it's like you never know what's going to turn stuff south at any yeah. point and yeah. it's like you know you could do all the stuff and like you could be as prepared as you can be but like you know there could be an audience question that comes in there or like you know there's there's lots of factors that can throw you off and it's just like i i don't know it's like at this point i've done hundreds of them and i know you've done hundreds of them at this point like yeah. it i'm always fucking nervous to do a goddamn q a oh yeah it, but i'm it, i'm glad too though because i feel like just like with being in a band if there's ever a time I don't have the jitters, at least a little bit, that's always when I've told myself I would quit. Yeah. Cause I don't, I, I think it's healthy, you know, like again, it's the balance, but well, it's the same as like, we've talked about this. I don't trust any film programmers who are confident. They know everything. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the same way with programmers doing Q and A's. If they have no fear, if they don't get the jitters, I'm like, ah, that's cause this is going to be boring. Cause you're going to yeah. be a boring Q and A that anyone could do. Because if you if you got the fear, that means you're going to, you know, try to make it an actually special event. I mean, it's just like, you know, some of my favorite Q&As are the ones that kind of like went off the rails and wasn't anything I asked. It's just like it sometimes it's the combination of people we get. Sometimes you get people like I just I think about <laughs> that, that the Maniac Cop 2 Q&A I did with Lorraine Landon <laughs> and Bill Lustig where like. Yep they both kind of like try to one up each other with the craziest fucking shit that like, I, it's just insane to me, but like, yeah, it was, it was great, but it was, but they're both wonderful fucking people and it's a great Q and a and like, I don't know, but I, I feel like you have another 
horror story you want to well, share? The, the, the finale. The, <laughs> though, though I have had both my feet firmly in my mouth and made a fool of myself many times throughout this weird career, there's never been a bigger bomb <laughs> than uh, when we did the oscilloscope weekend. And it's it's twofold. So I'll tell the fun one first, which I alluded to a little bit earlier. But after the big thing we're going to talk about, the second day of this, after I got no sleep because of how badly I'd done, I was introducing one of my favorite filmmakers on earth, Kelly Reichardt. But before that, I was introducing one of my good friends, April Wolf, who's a film critic and a filmmaker. And I was exhausted, as I said earlier, dressed like a sloppy slut. Uh, and <laughs> I meant to just do nothing but express that in so many words, April is one of the most, you know, passionate champions of movies out there. And what instead came out of my mouth was with a pause. And again, you know, I'll just tell everyone now, you can still go see it on the Criterion channel. If you go to the Kelly Reichardt Masterclass, you can watch me make a fuck out of myself. And uh, what came out of my mouth with an inconvenient pause was that uh, <laughs> April is an incredible lover. Big pause. <laughs> What I meant to say, you know, she was like a lover and champion of cinema, but uh, I fucked it all up and said she was an incredible lover. And I didn't even notice in the moment, right? So I just did it. But again, thankfully, Oscilloscope was there and Criterion was there with their cameras uh, filming it. And April comes up and Kelly comes up. And the first thing Kelly says is, oh, wow, an incredible lover, April. <laughs> 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 so that was good but what happened the night before that helped me get to the headspace for that one uh was we put on a show that was meant to be a tribute to the one and only mca adam yauk of the beastie boys one of my and you know billions of other people's heroes on this planet earth and that was why that whole series happened because i initially said to gwen all these movies are great if i come up with a hook that guarantees we get at least one sellout. Can I do the oscilloscope series? And she was like, sure. <laughs> so I called the oscilloscope guys and I was like, can I get Mike D and Adrock to come out and do a tribute to MCA if we make it a fundraiser, right? Because it was very important to him in his life. And she was like, absolutely. Tell me what fundraiser it is. And at the time it was the Thomas Fire Fund because as always, the fire's doing horrible shit in California. She was happy. She said, all right, I will get them. <laughs> and sure enough, all of a sudden, Mike D and Adrock were confirmed. So we kept cooking and we were like, why don't we truly make this the be all end all uh, tribute to someone I love so much. <laughs> so we we're like, oh, the final video is Fight for Your Right Revisited, which has 1 million Beastie Boys in it, right? Honorary Beastie Boys. So what I did is I invited every single very famous person that's in that music video. <laughs> <laughs> I sent invites to every single one of them. Uh, and the vast majority, you know, weren't available, couldn't do it, whatever. Everyone wanted to, though. That was the thing, too. Everyone was like, oh my God, I wish I could, <laughs> you know. And then we had uh, Martin Starr and Elijah Wood and uh, Seth Rogen and John C. Riley. And the way the way we set this night up, is the only people listed on the website. The only people listed on the website were Mike G and Adrock, right? Because that's all we need to fill a theater of any yeah. size, obviously. 
And what we did in the intro, because I thought it would be fun to be cheeky, <laughs> is like we had seats for me, seats for Mike Dean Adrock, and then a bunch of other seats. And so I was teasing the audience. Like, you know, there's obviously more seats up here. And I even, and I was so proud, I even took the time to work in a Beastie Boys specific joke when I should have been obviously focusing on other things. But uh, so I said something like, we, we've got more guests than JD's got Salinger. Uh, which went over great with a crowd of Beastie Boys fans. <laughs> and so we show Fight for Your Right Revisited. I meet Mike D and Adrock. They are unbelievably intense in the best way because they're both so smart. So it makes sense. They looked into my eyes and I was like, I am so stupid. <laughs> this is, I knew then, in retrospect, I knew the moment I shook their hands, I was like, oh no. <laughs> So we bring up Mike Dean Adrock and then we surprise everybody with the other very famous people, but all of them were also sitting in the crowd. So people went nuts. Seth Rogen, of course, sweet boy, stoned out of his mind. When he got there, he just said, is there any way me and my girlfriend could get popcorn and could it have butter? <laughs> yeah, we could, sure. No, no way. But anyway, so we get up there. Everyone's there. The audience is going insane. The energy in the room is still, I can still feel it. I'm sweating now thinking about it. And I'm wearing, I'm also wearing, it's important for this bomb that I'm wearing on oscilloscope uh, doctor's like white lab coat and plastic like surgery glasses because I thought it'd be funny. Again, thinking about things I should <laughs> <laughs> and we and we get everyone up there and people losing their fucking minds and we sit down and I look and I had done some of the Q&A prep that I talked about earlier not all of it I didn't have time because that was a crazy fucked up weekend but I remember the moment I turned and looked and I see Mike D looking back at me with those piercing eyes and in my head that moment I was like oh shit because even in my worst moments up to that point in Q&As, I knew that if I took a breath and just started talking about whatever we were there for, something would at least start to come. So I foolishly thought after he looked into my soul that that would happen, and it didn't. <laughs> so I started talking, and I'm sure you remember, but I rambled and rambled about them and Spike Jones famously not getting permits for the sabot for the sabotage video but i never built to anything i just talked about that for a second and then kind of trailed off and then mike d looks me right in the eyes and goes are you asking us about fucking permits man <laughs> and i just said i just said apparently and thankfully, John C. Riley, who was sitting next to him, saved the day and then made a joke about, you know, well, we've all we don't want to tell him that permit story. So everyone laughed, at least. And I, if I remember right, I think I tried one more time and the same thing happened where I just rambled. And then finally, I had to take the air out of the room and said something like, obviously, I'm killing it up here. So let's go to the audience. And everyone <laughs> laughed and the night worked out relatively OK, but it was insane for what felt for me like seven hours, which was, you know, four minutes or whatever, but it was crazy. The energy in that room, as I, as everyone realized I had nothing to say to these people for this tribute. <laughs> I mean, it's a tough spot because you, you did a lot of leg work to get there and then you have all these people and then it's just like, 
It's basic. It, you know, for those who haven't seen it, it's just basically a revisit or reimagination of the Fight for Your Right music video with different celebrities playing Beastie Boys of different ages, eras, that kind of stuff. So, yeah. so there's there's only so much of it you could talk about, but it's just like you know, some sometimes, <laughs> sometimes the moment you seize the moment, sometimes the moment just kicks you in the nuts. Well, and also it should be noted because it was fun after after the screening, my our boss Gwen had to talk to me about uh, cursing too much in front of screenings because, and again, a good indicator of where the night was going to go and how poorly it was going to go is before I even brought anyone up, I just kept saying fuck everything, which is always a good sign that you're flailing if you just keep leaning on just saying it. But yeah, the worst part too is the way I pitched it to Oscilloscope was we're just going to campfire style. I just want people to share memories about MCA. So literally all I had to do to start that Q&A and everything would have been perfect is you know, you guys can go down the line. We can go on whatever order we want. But if you want to talk about it, the first time you met MCA, you know, and that's it. And it would have taken off and been perfect. But instead, <laughs> instead, I asked about permits. <laughs> you, you did what all of us have done. Is you got you got a little too much in your head and then you overthought it. And then, like, that's what happens. But to kind of maybe, I'd say, end on a positive note, do you have any... <laughs> There's millions of films out there, literally. Um, is there any white whales that you're still looking for, hoping to screen, like, to this day? Like, you know, I obviously, as long as you've been doing it, you've hit a lot of, like, probably found, like, things like, I want to screen this, and you make it happen. Is there still some titles out there that you, like, these are my white whales, I need to screen these before all is said and done? I mean, there are countless Um I have a notebook full of them that I've had for years that I cross off very excitedly when I finally get one. So, so many of them, but well, thankfully it changed a lot during the pandemic, I would say. Uh, Cause a lot of things that used to, you could only get access to through, you know, private torrent sites or tape trading or whatever that changed a lot. Um, it used to be a goal to screen any Rosa von Pranheim movies um even if it was you know just the close to biggest one city of lost souls and now we're in a time where liz perchell has a touring rosa von Pronheim series you know playing in new york and gonna play all over the place uh and so it, first i just want to say i'm so excited how much that has changed during pandemic as my list got cut literally in like by like three quarters just by what changed when everyone was locked inside and was like, God damn it, everyone should be able to see these fucking crazy movies. <laughs> and so I'm very grateful for that. Um, the two that the two that come to mind sound kind of silly, I guess, but it's because, I mean, you know this, right? Like most most of the time when you start this kind of hunt, at least in my experience, we do find them, right? Mm -hmm. Like we usually you, you track down somebody, a producer, or a fucking cousin, or whatever. You you find it. Oddly enough, two of the two things that I've wanted to show on film for a long fucking time that I and no other programmer I've spoken to have been able to find is a print of what I think is the far superior sequel with uh, our queen, Carol Kane, when a stranger calls back. Ah. I cannot find. 
a fucking part of it anyway. Is that because it was a TV movie, though? Yes, but they're, they're... I asked, I've asked people who supposedly were involved, and they said there were cast and crew screenings, and it wasn't on tape. So it's actually at the same spot I'm in right now with uh, um, that third movie I mentioned. You, I won't say it in case we get to show it, but yeah. that third movie in a certain series where I'm down to one producer of seven, by the way, on that movie. Seven producers. <laughs> Six of them said, uh, no, I don't know where one is, but there for sure is one. But I, I don't know if everyone's just fucking with me. But anyway, um, so When a Stranger Calls Back is a big one. If I could get my hands on the negative, I would do a fundraiser to strike a print. because I think that movie's incredible. And the other one is... Uh, uh, mirror mirror mm. never been able to find a fucking print to that and that's one of those that i know would do great it was actually the same with and it sounds so silly now but when i showed ginger snaps i got flooded with emails from programmers because they were like wait where'd you find a print and what I, i'm sure i've told you that story but i looked for like two years and then i finally was like i'm just going to be a little bit shitty and i emailed Colin Getty's formerly of you know midnight madness at tiff and was like i'm sorry i'm not trying to say all canadians know each other but do you know the guys that made uh ginger snaps and he was <laughs> instantly replied and was like yeah they're my buds and connected <laughs> us and then i emailed one of them and minutes later because i was like do you know i'm just desperately trying to find a print of ginger snaps he's like yeah it's in my basement no problem i'll send it over and then that one immediately, so many programmers like, wait, where did you find it, right? So we all get excited when it happens. Um, and uh, Mirror Mirror is one of those that everyone I've asked has been like, no idea, but please fucking tell me. <laughs> but I'll, I mean, I guess I'll, I guess I'll stop there because we could do this game for another twelve hours. There are so <laughs> many. Those are just the two that have been on my mind this week. <laughs> But I mean, we could literally talk 12 hours about film and programming and shop and like, you oh. know, <laughs> Will, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. It's always a pleasure yeah. to talk to you and fucking you shoot the shit. Um, where can people, <laughs> where can people find you online or the, I hate the, uh, I, I know you're anti-internet, but where can no, people no, no. find not, out about your screenings? <laughs> wait, I'll do, just to be clear, I'm not. I'm I'm just an old man now. I'm not anti-internet. I'm anti I'm anti what happened to the internet, which is the social media, but yeah. which also helps me too with my own screenings. So don't worry. I'm not I'm not on a high horse here. <laughs> I'm just sad about what happens when we humans ruin things. But if you want to find out about our shows, uh it's just Oscar Bait on Instagram. Again, spelled masturbate, but Oscar. So <laughs> Yeah. Every time you think of that, just look it up. You'll see. And they're on the Music Box website. There's the highs and lows tab. And it's also even Mubi is sponsoring us now. So it says Mubi presents highs and lows. <laughs> you know, putting those streaming dollars to work. That's right. Yep. That's good. They won't listen to this. So it's fine. They won't hear anything I said about streaming or sponsorships <laughs> or anything at all. So it's good. <laughs> Look, I mean, that stuff's important, but like, come on, man. There's a lot of things you have to remember. We both know this. <laughs> yeah. Well, it helps when it's someone like movie because at least they literally show movies. Yeah. It's just when it's like fucking, oh, thank you so much, Kia and Heineken 
For, oh, no yeah. one wants no one wants a fucking Kia or a Heineken unless it's free. <laughs> My ultimate goal, and actually you suggested this too, and we didn't hear back from it, was the J and B sponsorship yep. for January Giallo. Which is crazy. Come on. That's why everyone still knows about them. <sighs> I mean, yeah, I'm we're gonna have to I'm gonna hit up J and B earlier. I think I think we, I think we, I, I think when we did it this year, we, we were doing it like the week of like January. Jalen already started. Yeah. Let's let's hit him up now. Yeah, what? and if and if not, just go the other direction and see if Colt Forty Five will sponsor it. Why not? Might as well. I mean, you know, seventies or Schlitz, whatever. Which uh, reminds, yeah. which reminds me, of the year I think it was year two Beyond Fest that Schlitz was the beer sponsor. Yeah, which is awesome, as it what, should be. Which was the most insane thing, like the amount of Schlitz they gave us. Oh, see, so jealous. <laughs> Schlitz is the shit. <laughs> Official beer of Gates of Hell, directed by Lucio Fulci. Yes, agreed. <laughs> well, uh, uh, only because there's that one shot of like the the fucking beer tap where you see the Schlitz sure. logo, yeah. but it's not it's not like in uh it's not like in fucking innkeepers where they make sure that it's in there quite a few times. Make sure the label is pointing <laughs> right in camera. <laughs> but Will, thank uh, you so much for talking today, and you know, obviously, oh. I love talking to you. I love programming stuff with you. Well, thank you for having me. I am honored. To be on to be on the void always just like i was getting to host shows with you so i'm very grateful you know because you're one of those you know you're one of those people that uh very kindly welcomed me into the fold and could not have you know i sure as shit wouldn't be where i am without you so thank you oh thank you i wouldn't be where i am without you because you've put you've pushed me to to push boundaries of what can or can't be a cult film <laughs> Oh, it's good. So we help each other out. Keep pushing to, you know, break some minds. <laughs>